Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 141. Avi ben Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. And this podcast is a continued summary of the biblical history that concerns the priestly line of Aaron as it was passed down to the house of the sons of Sadok. This is podcast episode 141, and it's part 27 in my continued series on the Zadokites. On the previous program, which was part 26, I focused our attention on the wars of the Maccabees, who were five sons of one Mattityahu. They rose up to fight against the conquering Hellenists from the Greek Seleucid Empire. The five sons of Mattityahu and all of their supporters took up armed warfare against the edicts of the Greek Antiochus Epiphanes IV, as he set his sights on seeking control of the Levant, also called Palestine. But, as previously said, the Judeans also came against so many of their own, who preferred to live as Hellenized Jews among the Greeks, rather than to die through a series of ongoing wars against the Greeks. The conflicts of the Maccabees are recorded in the four books of the Maccabees, but were not included as part of the Judean canon of Hebrew-inspired scripture. It is from the era of the Jewish wars against assimilation and Greek culture that reminds us of the well-known traditional rabbinic story of Hanukkah and the miracle of the oil, as referenced in the Babylonian Talmud at Shabbat 21b. Also, it's mentioned as the Festival of Lights in the works of Josephus Antiquities 12.7, sections 6 through 7, which is identified as paragraphs 316 through 325 which discusses the temple dedication in the historical first book of the Maccabees, chapter 4, 36 through 59. But what we need to remember is that the annual festival of Hanukkah is based on the political successes of Hasmonean politics of the time. Recall, of course, the triumphant Hasmonean or Hashmonaim politics, and how it came about. They represented what we might call the new normal of temple life among the Judeans, with a new course of elders and rulers, scribes and priests, all who replaced the biblical sons of Tzadok. In essence, Hanukkah celebrates replacing the temple Zadokites through a religious and political coup that remains as a kind of celebration of remembrance mentioned in the Gospel of John 10, 22 through 23. 
Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, this does not mean that Yeshua was observing or celebrating Hanukkah. Not at all. It's a simple statement of fact that he was in Jerusalem at that time. And for the sake of his spiritual mission, he had good reason to be there. Now, after many decades of the Maccabees pursuing religious freedom as they understood it, the Hellenized among the Judeans and the non-Judeans gave way to the Hasmonean dynasty, arising from the last of the five surviving sons of the Maccabees. His name was Shimon. This history records the forming of a fresh political and religious government, one that challenged the whole gamut of political military, and religious powers originally given to all of Israel as set up by Jehovah at Mount Sinai. Historically, we know a lot about the politics and religion of the two houses, Israel and Judah, on earth, what happened in that national family split, and of course what will happen in their physical end-of-days regathering when they are returned to the family unity of all Israel. However, on a spiritual level, the notion of the family of Israel is much bigger than a hereditary bloodline. Jehovah defines Israel much more as a kingdom of His people, ruled by a monarch king from the line of Judah, and a high priest from the line of Levi, or Levi. Now, this one is specifically mentioned in Scripture as Melchizedek, or in English, Melchizedek, known from the days of Avram, or Avraham, in Genesis fourteen eighteen, He is known there as King Tzadok also called the King of Righteousness. And I'm using the term Sadok or Righteousness, as a description of a specific king and priest of the kingdom of heaven and his character. With this established authority coming from the order or course of Melchizedek, we learn that he was titled as the teacher or the instructor, as a spiritual head of the family of the sons of Tzedok, or simply the Zadokites. The priests of Tzedok were living in the area of the Qumran, next to the vast waters of the Dead Sea. I think they understood the will of Jehovah very well, and referred to themselves in Hebrew as the Yachad, those who integrated heaven and earth under the authority of the possessor of heaven and earth, exactly as Hebrew Scripture speaks about it. Take a look at Deuteronomy or Dvarim 4.39. Therefore know this day, and consider in your heart, 
that Jehovah himself is Elohim in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. The priestly line of the house of Tzedek, beginning long before Melchizedek or Melchizedek, and continuing down line through Aaron, Eleazar, and Pinchas, they understood that they had a hereditary election because it had been written as law on the tablets of heaven, as they called them. The well-known prophet Ezekiel spoke of this in the following declarations. Ezekiel 40, verse 46. The chamber which faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Tzadok, from the sons of Levi, who come near Jehovah to minister to him. And again in Ezekiel or Yehezkiel 44, 15 through 16. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Tzadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says Adonai Jehovah. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And yet once more, Ezekiel, Yehezkiel 44, 23-24, And they shall teach my people between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges, and judge according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my moedim, that is, the appointed times, and they shall set apart my Sabbaths. The moedim are referring to Yah's appointed festival times in a year of divine appointments. We know that Ezekiel was a priest of the house of the sons of Tzedok bloodline, linked through Aaron, precisely as Hebrew scripture tells us. Look at Ezekiel 1.3. The word of Jehovah came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Kasdim, or the Chaldeans, by the river Chavar. And the hand of Jehovah was upon him there. This validates the words of the Zadokite Ezekiel, who explains much about the tyranny that he prophetically saw coming against the house of Tzadok at a time when the canon of Hebrew scripture came to be the unchangeable constitution of all Israel. And we can see a hint of this when Yeshua said to the Judean body of priests and rulers in his day, who were in fact considered illegitimate in the eyes of Yeshua. 
Here it is in John or Yohanan 8, 23-25. You are from beneath, implying illegitimate priests and rulers, and I am from above, implying from the order of Melchizedek, king and ruler of the house of Tzedok. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Yeshua said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, which could also be understood as just what I have been saying to you from Breshit, that is, from the book of Breshit written by Moses. The statement, Who are you? comes across as if to say, Who do you think you are? As though you have some greater authority than we do. His words, must have sounded totally outrageous when he said to them two times, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. What they heard likely brought to mind the words of the Zadokite priest Ezekiel, who declared the divine offense against the name of Jehovah essentially saying that their house was a house of illegitimacy. But they didn't think that way. They thought their house and authority was that of being legitimate. But Yeshua told them, no, you have no legitimacy. So take a look at Ezekiel 3.20. Now, this is my understanding as reading from the Hebrew text. It won't appear this way in your English translation because of the way I'm looking at it from the Hebrew text. Again, when a Zadokite is turned from the Tzedok of him, which I think refers to Melchizedek, thus he is godless, that is, he's a criminal, then I am given towards an offense he will die, which I think is that man will die a spiritual death because he is causing the offense. For there was no cause to warn him, referring to the sinner, about his sin. He will die because there is to be no remembrance of the tzedok of him. Therefore, his blood I will require from your hand. From the way that this Hebrew text appears to read to me, based on my limited human understanding, it feasibly explains what was declared as an interjection spoken to Yeshua's disciples when the illegitimate priests of Jerusalem sought to forbid them from publicly declaring the teachings of Yeshua. Now, look carefully at their declaration as it appears in Acts 5, 27-28. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, 
referring to the Sanhedrin. The high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Wow, this tells me that the religious leaders of Jerusalem had not taken the warning of Yehezkel or Ezekiel seriously. It appears to me that the Amha'aretz, referring to the common people of the land, that they understood the implications of crucifying Yeshua when they shouted out their direct warning of what was to come by carrying out the determined actions of the religious leadership. In other words, the common people were the ones who were warning the religious people, don't go there, don't do this, it's a bad idea, because his blood will be on us and our sons. At least that's what I think's going on there. So once again, reiterating, here is what they said in their public demonstration, according to Matthew 27, 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood will be on us and on our sons. Wow, that's quite a warning. But the religious leaders were not listening. They would have none of it. You see, I don't think the Amha'aretz, the common people of the land, were so anxious about putting Yeshua on the execution stake in crucifixion. No, I don't think so. That was a Judean religious agenda, not the agenda of the Amha'aretz, not from my perspective. And in looking at the disciples of Yeshua, I don't think they had any shortage of conflicts with the Judean body of illegitimate rulers and priests in their day. So here is another recorded event, Acts 4, 15 through 20. But when they, referring to the illegitimate priestly authorities, had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Yeshua. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to Ha-Elohim, or to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This actually appears to me as a rather noteworthy statement. When they said to the illegitimate priests, you judge, perhaps they had been thinking of what they already knew from the words of the Zadokite priest Ezekiel. Take a look at Yehezkiel 44, 23-24. And they shall teach my people 
between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, the Hebrew word here is riv, it means a legal argument, they shall stand as judges and judge according to my judgments. In other words, the accusation appears to be that the Sanhedrin priests who were questioning Yeshua's disciples were not judging by the divine law of the Torah, and therefore their judgment was considered illegitimate. Shaul, or Paul, had similar run-ins with the house of the Hasidim, or the Pharisees, and the Tzedokim, that is, the Sadducees, all coming from a line of illegitimate Levitical priests mirroring the Korach rebellion of Numbers chapter 16. So Paul spoke out boldly against these rulers and priests of his day when he was brought before them to testify concerning Yeshua's legitimacy as the king and priest Melchizedek. Paul spoke out boldly against these rulers and priests of his day, and as he was answering their questions, he spoke in such a way that was interpreted as greatly dishonoring against the rulers. So, he was violently slapped for his apparent dishonor of the illegitimate rulers. Therefore, he said to them in Acts 23, 1-5, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, referring to the law of the Torah, then you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by, they said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul responded and said, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. In other words, by saying, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. It appears to me that Paul was making a point to accuse the political and religious leadership of the time that this judicial body of leadership of the Sanhedrin was entirely unlawful, though he also knew it was that same group of authorities who years earlier also subjected Yeshua to a Passover Inquisition, which then led to his public execution via crucifixion. Yeshua stood against them also in his day. Here is Matthew 23, 27-28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear as Sadok to men, 
but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, in my understanding, referring to illegitimacy. What we know is that the Levitical Sadducees were not legally of the bloodline of Aaron to Eleazar to Pinchas to Tzadok. Rather, they were more likely of the line of Aaron's son, Itamar, whose priestly line was ended in the days of King Solomon. But yet, they continued seeking a priestly legitimacy, going all the way back to the days of the Hashmonaim or the Hasmoneans. Now, at this point, I'm going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 141. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. The Sadducees were aristocrats because they had gained very powerful positions in Judea and were quite happy to be close friends with the family of the Herodians, who increased their power structure with the approval of the Roman authority. Consider that they held prominent political and religious appointments that were not the rightful and true house of Tzadok in the days of King David. It should be of no surprise to us why Yeshua spoke so boldly against the Sadducees and the Pharisees on numerous matters regarding the Jewish religious law. Between these two warring religious parties of his day, that is, the Sadducees and Pharisees, it was a time of great conflict, especially when it came to their stated authority against the house of the sons of Tzadok. Here is Mark eleven twenty-seven through 28. And as he, meaning Yeshua, was walking in the temple, the chief priests, that is the Tzadokim or Sadducees, and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? And again in Mark 6, 1-2. Then he went out from there and came to his own country or his own land, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? Recall in the generations prior to the late Second Temple period, the power of the national religion of Judea was in the hands of the high priest, who governed the people much like a prime minister or a president would do in our own day. 
and he carried out the function of his office with absolute divine approval. In the aftermath of the destruction of the Second Temple, the so-called sages had already established religious authority in the land and among the people. Theirs was a government of and by the rule of the majority, referred to in Hebrew as Achare Rabim Lehatot, that is, in English, incline after the majority, as they understood the meaning of the text, derived from Exodus 23, verse 2. Conversely, Yeshua's authority was from the rule of the king and high priest Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, of the celestial city of Shalem. But the Sadducean priests and the Pharisaic Hasidic fathers came to believe that their inherited authority was greater than the authority that Yeshua was telling them that he had. So, it was that Yeshua declared in Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of Yochanan or John the Immerser, that is the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Yeshua's authority was considered legitimate, whereas Sadducean and Pharisaic authority was legally foreign and illegitimate in the eyes of Jehovah, because their fathers had gained the government by violence about a hundred years before, and thus the house of Tzedok was deposed and sent into forced exile, if not killed, with many of them actually murdered. This explains a statement made to the religious leadership in Yeshua's day. Look at Matthew 23, 31. Therefore, says Yeshua, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. This appears to be a consistent testimony with what was later spoken about from an ally of the Zadokites. His name was Stephen, who was brought to trial for standing with the Zadokites against the Hasidim, that is, the Pharisees, as well as the Sadducees, who were illegitimate Levitical priests, most likely coming from the line of Aaron's son Itamar, whose legacy of Levitical priesthood was removed from his line during the days of King Solomon. So now let's take a look at what Stephen talks about to the religious authorities of his day in Acts 7, 51 through 53. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers, so you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. This is referring to killing those of the house of Sadok. 
Then Stephen goes on to say, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of Malachim or angels and have not guarded or kept him. So when Stephen said, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? This appears to refer to the Hasidim, or the early party of the Pharisees, who were religious loyalists belonging to the religious arm of the Hashmonaim or the Hasmoneans, in the years 140 to about 50 before the Common Era, which was precisely the time when the priests of the house of Tzedok were being executed, exiled, and stripped of their ancient spiritual authority. This further validates the house of Tzedok as prophets because they themselves claimed ongoing divine revelation through the Holy Spirit in all of their teachings. I think this is what Peter sought to address in 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of Elohim or God spoke, moved by the Holy Spirit. This is referring to the Zadokites because this is what they relied upon for their oracles and utterances. They trusted and relied on the power and the spirit of prophecy through the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit. So Yeshua had this to say to his disciples on that matter. Take a look at Matthew 16.6. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is understood at least in part from the second century Mishnah of Judaism, which declares in Sanhedrin 10, section 1, all of the Jewish people, even sinners, and those who are liable to be executed with a court-imposed death penalty, have a share in the world to come, as it is stated, and your people shall be all righteous, meaning they shall all be of Sadok. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, for my name to be glorified, which is coming from Isaiah 60, verse 21. Now, to be fair, in Mishnah Sanhedrin 10, there are also several noted exceptions to this rule, depending on one's beliefs and actions on what they would consider to be heresy. The illegitimate Sanhedrin body of judges and their leaven of judgment set in motion the religious criteria for entry into the world to come. Interestingly, in the Babylonian Talmud, there is a bit of commentary in the tractates of Haggai 13a 
and Shabbat 13b, demonstrating that some Masoretic texts of the book of Ezekiel were heavily redacted or edited. This includes a rabbinic effort to conceal Zadokite prophecy in what Jehovah had identified as the false pen of the scribes. Here's the reference in Jeremiah 8, 8-9. How can you say we are wise and the law or Torah of Jehovah is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of Jehovah. So, what wisdom do they have? We know that many of the Judeans, long before the days of Yeshua, sought to purge Ezekiel's writings of its Zadokite doctrines and ideas. For example, Ezekiel appears to have been fond of the Hebrew word Merkava, which is an exclusive Zadokite term for spiritual throne room visions. Yes, indeed, of the same kind that you read about in the book of Acts, chapters 10 and 11, when Peter had his vision, because Peter was, in fact, a Zadokite supporter. However, the Hebrew term Merkava was given an equivalent as it appears in the Greek Septuagint, which was a translation of Hebrew scripture to Greek circa 2nd century before the Common Era. In other words, according to the closed canon of the Hebrew Bible, that's the one we use today, the Dead Sea Scrolls Zadokite term Merkava seems to have been edited out and removed from the Hebrew Bible, the one we use today. But according to the writings and teachings of Yeshua in his New Covenant Zadokite teachings, the Merkava visions, and so much more, are actually quite conspicuous. Readings from the Gospel records of the New Covenant give us an appreciation for the semantics and the language that it adopts from the Qumran House of Tzedok priestly traditions. Again, here is a statement made by some of the common people of Yeshua's day. Mark 1, 21-22 Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The nature of this authority that Yeshua came with was in fact the authority of the king and priest of Shalem, that is, Melchizedek or Melchizedek, from Genesis 14, 18 who was also the Word made flesh, based on John 1.14. One of the many objectives of Yeshua's public ministry was to ultimately fulfill the Torah prophecy of Exodus 
19, verse 6. That is, to establish a kingdom of priests and a holy nation from the priestly line of Eleazar, the firstborn son of Aaron, who derived his authority from his father Aaron, who derived his eternal authority and calling from the authority of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, and also the high priest of Shalem. Now, this appears to be a possible reason why Yeshua performed the resurrection of Lazarus as a real-life teaching metaphor. I am convinced it is necessary to understand that the legitimate transmission of Sadok authority depends 100% upon a pure and uncorrupted Aaronic priesthood inheritance recognized as coming only through the line of Eleazar, the son of Aaron. Recall his brothers, Nadav and Avihu, died, and the line of Ithamar was later disqualified, leaving only Eleazar to carry on the authority of the spiritual Melchizedek bloodline that was given to Eleazar's father, Aaron. But we know historically this line was as good as dead before Yeshua was born. Thus, when Yeshua revived Lazarus from the dead, it seems to me that he was legitimizing the authority of the high priest Melchizedek by raising in resurrection Eleazar, or Lazarus, on the fourth day. This fourth day motif is all about establishing Messiah as king and priest of Shalem on earth. This resurrection metaphor of the revived Eleazar slash Sadok priesthood by decree from the king of Sadok that is, Melchizedek, and the word made flesh, appears to be Martha's understanding. Let's look at John eleven, twenty-three through 27 Yeshua said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Referring to the second death mentioned in Genesis 2.17. So Yeshua asks Martha, Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Master, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of Elohim, who is come into the world. Was Yeshua telling Martha that he was the promised Messiah, King of Righteousness, or Messiah, King Sadok, and Priest of Shalem? It sure looks like it to me. 
Thus, with the resurrection of Eleazar, using the metaphor of the real-life Lazarus, it was Yeshua's declaration that he was, in fact, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, who was reviving the Zadokite priesthood originally with Melchizedek, then passed down to Aaron, Eleazar, Pinchas, Sadok, John the Baptist, or John the Immerser, and then finally to Yeshua. I think Yeshua was telling Martha there is an inheritance and a position in that exalted priestly line through Yeshua, essentially elevating the priesthood bloodline from the physical line of Tzadok to the original spiritual application of that line in the king and priest of Shalem, again based on Genesis 14.18. With Eleazar's resurrection in the fourth day, this is clearly an allusion to the Malachi 4.2 prophecy of the angel or messenger of Jehovah, which is found in the Hebrew text of Malachi 3.20. This is referring to Melchizedek, who comes with healing in his wings as the son of Sadok, not son, S-O-N, but son, S-U-N, of Sadok righteousness, again on day four which is precisely what the priests of Tzedok believed and why they had a priestly festival calendar based on the fourth day of the week, beginning with the Hasmonean or Hashmonaim political and religious coup in the second century before the Common Era, the Zadokites were considered as good as dead as they were replaced by a new political and religious system. So they lived their lives as prophets with prophetic priestly oracles in their exiled lives at the Qumran, which was considered outside the camp, which is exactly what was written in the book of Hebrews 13, 13 to 14. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This is referring to Jerusalem above, not Jerusalem below. So then we have Shaul or Paul identifying two covenants in Galatians 4, 24 through 25. One covenant coming from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, and that is the covenant at the base of the mountain with the golden calf. But then Paul goes on to say that this corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is in his day, and is in bondage with her sons. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, in Galatians 4, 26. 
So all of this is a story of the restoration of Jerusalem above through the believers in Yeshua. This is the story of the fourth day resurrection of Eleazar or Lazarus, powerfully appearing as a teaching allusion to Shalem in the resurrection of the great king Melchizedek, who is king and priest of the city spoken of in the book of Revelation, a city and a kingdom that is called the New Jerusalem, which is found in Revelation 3.12 and 21.2. And this is where we've got to stop, because I'm out of time. But let's continue with this idea about the resurrection of Lazarus as a real-life teaching metaphor of the rising again of the house of Sadok. In the meantime, may you go in health and shalom. And once again, thanks so much for listening to me prattle on about a lot of these ideas. I hope that it is of some help to you in understanding all of the historical details about the rise, the fall, and the rise of Melchizedek, the king and priest of Shalem. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.